Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, Joe Biden is raising wages for construction workers. Texas bosses are stealing billions from workers and getting away with it, and the Republican presidential candidates want to make that easier on them. All that and more on today's program. If you want to be part of the show today, we have a phone number. The line is not open, but you can send us a text message at 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can also send us a text or leave us a voicemail throughout the week, and we might respond on the next show. If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap up here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week. You can find us anywhere you find anything online, in particular on our website, tvlr.fm. You're going to want to bookmark that and sign up for our newsletter so we can alert you whenever we have new stuff come out. Obviously, we are on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, uh, TikTok, all at the Valley Labor Report. Uh, just a reminder, folks, your support keeps us on the air. We could not do it without our financial supporters, in particular our uh, listener donors, uh, the people that donate one, two, three, four, five, twenty dollars a month uh, individually. That pot of money is the largest single source of money that we have coming into the program. Uh, so uh, it really helps the show out. If you uh, can become a monthly donor, then please do consider it. You can do that at tvlr.fm slash donate. You can make a one-time donation there or uh, set up a monthly auto-recurring payment tvlr.fm slash donate. Also, if you want to buy some of our merch, tvlr.fm slash store, pre-orders have closed on our new Join a Union shirt, but we did order a few extras, so you can go and order one of those. Um, and uh, you can also become a patron, patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. And if you are a member of a union, then please do consider uh, getting your local or your international, your council, whatever, to sponsor the show as well. We could not do it without our union donors, even though uh, our uh, largest single source of revenue is from our uh, individual donors. The majority of our revenue comes from our union sponsors. Uh, so very important that we have uh, support from uh, from the labor unions. And if you are a member of the labor union, then please consider getting your local to sponsor the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. And let me add a disclaimer that any viewpoints or opinions expressed in this program belong solely to their author and do not necessarily represent any organization or sponsor. 
We welcome all of our listeners, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, Unclaimed Mysteries Internet Radio, WVNN, WZZA, WHIV, or through your favorite podcast app. We are proud to be part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network and encourage our listeners to check that out. And as most of you know, we are not media professionals, just a few diehard unionists who believe that Alabama and the South's labor movement and working class deserve a bigger platform. We're hoping this project can make a difference on that front, and we could not do it without you. So we want to thank everyone for tuning in, whether you're a loyal fan, uh, and we see some of y'all out there already in the chat, or if you're a first-time listener. We appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. So let's talk about what happened in the U.S. South in the labor movement last week. We had several new election filings. First up, 1,722 Ph.D. students providing instructional and research services at the private Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, filed for a union election with Workers United. They are also holding a rally on Monday, August 28th, from 10 to 11 a.m. on the quad outside the administration building to celebrate uh, the filing of their union election and to prep uh, their co-workers for what's next. So that's very exciting a huge unit and in the South. In what appears to be a raid of a unit of employees currently represented by the Office of Professional Employees International Union, OPEIU, 45 workers at Transdev in Lorton, Virginia, filed for a union election with the Independent Supervisors Union. You might have to ask Chris about that later. Mm-hmm. He might have some insight. That's true. Nine workers at Allegiance Crane and Equipment in Beaumont, Texas, filed for a union election with the International Union of Operating Engineers. Ten workers at Crescent Hotels and Resorts in Washington, D.C., filed for a union election with Unite Here, Local 25. Five workers at Trident Military Services doing work on uh, on flight simulation projects at Lackland Air Force Base, Texas, filed for a union election with the International Association. Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, 33 security guards at Allied Universal Universal Security Services in Washington, D.C., filed for a union election with the Fraternity of American Protective Officers, seven workers at Mid-America Conserv- uh, Conversion Services, LLC, in Kevill, Kentucky, filed to be included in the existing bargaining unit that is represented by the United Steelworkers. 95 workers at Cisco in Louisville, Kentucky, filed for a union election with the General Drivers, Warehousemen, and Helpers, local union number 89, which is an affiliate of the Teamsters. 13 workers at PSA doing clerical work in in Norfolk, Virginia, filed for a union election with the Teamsters, local 822. 50 workers for Ocean Point Terminal in Christiansted, uh... In the Virgin Islands, filed for a union election with the United Steelworkers Local 8526. 300 workers at Coca-Cola Southwest Beverages in Fort Worth, Texas, filed for a union election with the Teamsters Local 997. Seven workers at T-47 International in Abilene, Texas, filed for a union election with the Laborers International Union of North America Local 154. There were also a few election petition withdrawals at Blue Crew in New Orleans, Louisiana, Novo Health Services in Atlanta, Georgia, Bourbon Dog Inc. in Burlington, North Carolina, Route 66 in St. Louis, Missouri, Trident Military Systems in San Antonio, Texas, Hospital Damas in Ponce, Puerto Rico, and Hand and Stone Massage in Gainesville, Florida. Uh, workers at all of those locations pulled their petition for a union election. Uh... Workers who were able to have their election last week almost 
almost ran a clean slate. There was one election loss, but uh, every single other one was a win. That's very cool. 23 workers at a Starbucks in Washington, D.C. voted in favor of unionization, 13 to 9, with Starbucks Workers United. 83 workers at PepsiCo in Houston, Texas, voted in favor of unionization with the Teamsters Local 988. 52 to 25. 20 workers at Championship Enterprises in Fort Hood, Texas, voted against unionization with the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, 8 to 12. 13 workers at Gladius in San Juan, Puerto Rico, voted unanimously in favor of unionization with the International Alliance of Theatrical and Stage Employees, Local 839. Eight workers at Brass Tax Coffee in Jacksonville, Florida, voted in favor of unionization with Teamsters Local 947, 6 to 2. And finally, 17 workers at Swissport Fueling in Fort Myers, Florida, voted in favor of unionization with the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, 16 to 1. There's a lot of strikes and bargaining updates this week. A committee of the State Employee Insurance Board in Alabama last week proposed a combination of increases in state employees' health care premiums and a decrease in benefits. Yikes. Love that. That's super great because everybody knows that Alabama state employees uh, are just raking it in. That's what I'm told. Obviously not true. UAW members at the big three automakers have authorized a strike by a whopping 97%. The contracts expire at the big three automakers on the 14th of September, and the UAW has said that is a deadline, not a reference point. Teamsters at UPS overwhelmingly ratified their tentative agreement with UPS. More people voted in the referendum than have ever voted in a UPS contract referendum, and the percentage in favor was higher than ever in a UPS contract referendum. So genuinely overwhelming support uh, from Teamsters at UPS. Teamsters at UPS will immediately get a raise of at least $275 an hour, a minimum wage of $21 an hour, and full-time package car drivers will see their wage rise to $49 an hour by 2028, and they will additionally not be able to be forced by management to work a sixth day in a week. The collective bargaining agreement between members of the Communication Workers of America in West Virginia and Ashburn, Virginia, and their employer, Frontier Communications, expired on uh, at 11.59 p.m. on August the 19th, but the 1,400 members of the Communication Workers of America uh, have agreed to continue to report to work and maintain the status quo as they continue negotiations on a new agreement. Workers have authorized the bargaining committee to call a strike if necessary. In politics and legislation, longtime listeners of the show will remember our discussions about the resurrection of the Joy Silk Doctrine at the National Labor Relations Board, and last week we saw something quite close to it and something that will, in practice, be, I think, almost identical. In a decision on the CMEX case, the National Labor Relations Board put forward a new standard for certification of union representation. Going forward, the board has stated that if an employer commits any unfair labor practices over the course of a union election and workers had already shown that a majority of employees support a union through union authorization cards, then the employee will automatically certify the union and order the employer to bargain. Wow. So that is 
huge news and is going to be a huge disincentive uh, on employers uh, with respect to their uh, lawlessness during union elections. The new CMEX standard, however, is not the only change to um, uh, 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 is not the only change in union election procedures that the NLRB put forward last week. A new rule was issued aimed at expediting union elections to decrease the time available to employers to uh, interfere with their workers' rights to organize. Changes include allowing pre-election hearings to begin more quickly, ensuring that important election information is disseminated to employees more quickly, making pre- and post-election hearings more efficient, and ensuring that elections are held more quickly. So two very big pieces of news coming out from the board this week that will both be very helpful to employees who are seeking to form a union. The American Federation of Government Employees has endorsed Joe Biden's nominee to head up the Social Security Administration, Martin O'Malley. Now, there's a name that I have not heard in a long time. <laughs> Interesting throwback. Yes. Last week's guest, Rich, Co uh, Rich Kucher, who is president of the American Federation of Government Employees Council 215, which represents part of uh, their members at the Social Security Administration, said in a statement, quote, SSA deserves a leader with full authority to implement a positive vision that will simultaneously improve public service and employee working conditions. Governor O'Malley is that leader. So here's hoping that Brother Kucher is right. Uh, from the American Prospect, over the past two years, Georgia has been the beneficiary of 22 clean energy projects and almost 17,000 clean tech jobs, which is the second highest totals for both of any state in the country. There's only one other state that has more clean energy projects and more jobs from the, uh, uh, from the federal subsidies in the clean energy industry. Governor Kemp's administration secured economic development deals with these companies that award lucrative contracts for building out the factories to non-union construction firms. The selected companies are also donors to Republicans in the state, including the governor, who is himself the former owner of a non-union construction firm. No union contractor has benefited from any of these federally subsidized projects, despite Biden's assurances that these subsidies would fund good-paying union jobs. So that's a big, big issue there. We're going to be diving into that a little bit more deeply in the coming weeks, but you, you should really check out the article in The American Prospect from uh, Luke Goldstein, I believe is his name. Uh, if we missed anything, then let us know. Send us a message at tvlr.fm slash contact about your uh, Southern Labor updates, and we will be sure to include it in the next segment. Uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and go to a break. We're going to be right back with a couple of brothers from the Building Trades Unions to talk about the uh, updated enforcement to the Davis-Bacon Act, which is an absolutely riveting topic of conversation, I'm sure uh, you'll think. But the upshot is actually very interesting, and that is that construction workers are going to be paid more. So we're going to be diving into that here in just a couple of minutes. We'll be right back. 
In Alabama, more than 200,000 of our friends and family members are living without health care coverage. Often folks can't stay healthy enough even to keep their jobs. We can fix this. It's time for us to find a way to close the health care coverage gap so that people can remain at work. Let's make this a priority. Let's close this gap and cover Alabama. To learn more and how you can help, visit CoverAlabama.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on the bridges to drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glazers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you'd like in the country to work. IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142 for more information. Again, that phone number is 205-603-3142. Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAC. I'm attorney Tommy Senior. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senior'd Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senior'd Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senior'd Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senior'd Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Sinyard Law, the name with proven results. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Come on, you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell. 
Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. And you are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host, Adam Keller. And we have a great segment lined up for you. But first, I wanted to mention that Susan Kang is a professor of political science at John Jay College uh, slash C-U-N-Y. And she is interviewing Southern workers in all industries, but uh, in the private sector, who have participated in union organizing, uh, particularly filing NLRB elections or uh, voluntary recognition in the past five years. Interviews take one hour, are anonymous, and subjects will be compensated $25 for their time. If you qualify and are interested, then reach out to her. Her email is skang at jjay.cuny.edu. That is s-k-a-n-g at j-j-a-y dot e-d-u. All right. Also hit us up if, yeah, if you didn't catch that for any reason, just hit us up and we'll be happy to connect you. Yeah, feel free to holler at us. Uh, So we're going to get right into uh, what we're talking about today. That is uh, updates on the enforcement of the Davis-Bacon Act. That is a, uh, you know, when you put it like that, it doesn't sound super sexy, uh, but it is actually really sexy because uh, the upshot, like I said earlier, is that construction workers are going to make higher wages on federal construction sites. That's very important. Absolutely. Um, And and we're really excited about that. We were really excited when this rule change was announced, and so uh, we have... Uh, wanted for a couple of weeks to get on some uh, some folks from the Building Trades Union, and we have that this morning. Uh, we have Steve Stutz, who is former president of uh, the local union of operating engineers over in Muscle Shoals. He is also former international pre- uh, international representative for the union, and I believe is currently the president of the Shoals Democrats. Is that right? Steve? I don't know if he can hear me. Uh, Our other guest that we have, though, is Sean Paul Kimball. He is uh, the president and business manager for the Iron Workers Local 704 in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and is president of the Building Trades Council in the area. Uh, Sean Paul, really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you for having me on. It's an honor. Absolutely. And uh, Steve, are you there now? Hmm. I don't know. Uh, I think I think Steve's connection may be bad. Not sure what's going on there. Okay. well, um, let's start off with talking about, um, uh, you know, while we wait for Steve to to connect, uh, you know, uh, uh, Sean, you have had issues with uh, with Davis Bacon in the past, and so can you just talk to us about um, the Davis Bacon Act? Uh, uh, what is it like? What does it do um, on federal <coughs> construction sites that makes it, uh, you know, that that makes it such an important piece of legislation to unions like yours in the building trades? Well, thank you, it. Uh... The Davis Bacon Act was enacted in 1931 by, uh, oddly enough, two Republicans. Um, it was U.S. Senator from Pennsylvania, John 
James John Davis and a U.S. rep from uh, New York, Robert Bacon. And um, I think it was Senator Davis had a job um, in his district where they brought up a large amount of African-Americans to a project in Pennsylvania. I think it might have been at a U.S. steel mill. And uh, they were working these people 14 hours a day, um, paying substandard wages. And it was just awful. So he said, you know, there should be area standards on federally funded public projects, and it should be the prevailing rate of that area. So, you know, oddly enough, um, living wage in 1931, let's fast forward, it worked great. Um, you know, the greatest generation, union density was at its all time high. Um, a family could work 40 hours a week and not worry about losing their house or, you know, didn't have to work three jobs. Wages weren't suppressed. 1980, Reagan comes along. And uh, he takes a lot of, you know, things out of it. And now we're looking at a labor shortage right now um, because, you know, for years, um, contractors on the non-union side mostly have suppressed wages so bad that, you know, in right-to-work states like we're in, in Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Louisiana, Mississippi, uh, the wages are suppressed so bad you cannot get young people to go into a trade. So, you know, Federally, and it just makes sense. These are tax dollars. These are not private funds. These are not, you know, Amazon didn't decide to throw a bunch of money in. Elon Musk is not funding this. These are federal dollars. So, you know, it's what's wrong with paying the workers a living wage with benefits, you know, and, and what mm -hmm. this is going to do is this is going to bring it up. There, It's an 800 page document. So prevailing wage has always been, you know, the lifeblood. Um, mm -hmm. You know, not only for union, but non-union workers, it should level the playing field. And for this craft, you get this wage. Right. And and so, you know, one of the issues that, that you told me about in the last, you know, 40 years, right, there was, you know, there was an enforcement regime of the Davis-Bacon Act from 1930 to kind of 1980. And then basically, like everything else in American society, it went wrong in 1980. And we'll leave it to the listeners to figure out what exactly happened in 1980. But it went wrong in 1980, and they began calculating prevailing wage differently in 1980. And the upshot of that is that it lowered construction workers' wages. How, did, how have they been calculating prevailing wage for the last 40 years? Well, since 1980, um, they used a formula where you had to have at least 50% of the workers in the area surveyed had to make a, this certain wage. Well, now they've reversed that and brought it back down to 30%. You know, 50% is hard to achieve in right to work states where, you know, there's a super majority. Like you said, we'll let the listeners figure that out. But I mean, you know, it's so they, they've reversed that back to 30%. And I'm not going to get off in the weeds too much with that, but that will help in itself. Another thing they did is there's, misclassification is so rampant and it's just like mm -hmm. any law that uh is enacted uh enforcement of that law you know mm. so now it's my understanding and what i've read in the industry experts that i've talked to um there's going to be the general contractor is going to be held more liable mm. so let's say contractor a goes out there and hires a bunch of laborers to perform whether it's iron work pipe fitting operator whatever and pays those lower wages you know, instead of paying them the classification that they should be at. Mm -hmm. 
So there's going to be more enforcement. And it's going to raise, you know, both rural areas and in the city, like, you know, um, in the city of Chattanooga, uh, Chickamauga Lock, they had to do what's called a rehabilitation program on that. Mm-hmm. So we have not prevailed in the heavy, you know, in Davis-Bacon for years. Um, so first thing that the contractor does um, is come in and hit us with a concession because, you know, there was no. So even though we signed a project labor agreement on that job, we still had to take a concession on wages in order mm-hmm. to get that job because that job didn't hit the magic, you know, uh, window where it's surveyed and everything. And the, um, and so, and one of the ways additionally, you know, you mentioned that 50% threshold and now it's down to 30%, which is going to, which is going to benefit the workers, right? If you only have to have 30% of, of the people making a wage this high, and then that's the floor for federal construction projects, as opposed to, 50%, 50%, right? You can imagine how, yes, you know, how, how that's going to increase wages Huge. on federal construction sites. But you also said something about about a, a survey every 7 years and how if you didn't have workers in the year that they happened to do, to do that survey, then your prevailing wage could actually go down to not applicable and it would be the federal minimum wage of $7.25 an hour. Right. And I think you're exactly right. And I think they changed that in 2022. Um, I think it's $16. I'm not sure, but you're exactly right. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of things got to line up, you Mm -hmm. know, for the one, there has to be a project and either heavy highway construction or building. And then you have to have contractors, you know, one putting in the, for the survey for those projects. And there, you know, there's a, there's a lot to do. And when you send the survey in, if a contractor sends it in, then it's pretty much gold. You know, uh, nobody questions it. But if a local union sends it in, which we do on behalf of our contractors, I personally, when a survey comes up in our jurisdiction, um, whether it's in the Chattanooga area, northeast Alabama or northwest Georgia, which is our jurisdiction, you know, I sit mm-hmm. down, I get with the contractors and find out who was working on that and they always call the contractors they don't always take our word for it but with those surveys in there whether union or non-union you know you should be making a living wage and you know right um, absolutely and that's the thing about you know you mentioned that about when it's public dollars we should be investing in public benefits you know and it is it is beneficial to the public for the people building our infrastructure to not be in poverty. (laughs) I mean, just, just, just for the moral thing of it, obviously, you know, I mean, if, if, if we're spending money on it as a government, then, you know, we should be putting our values into that. And that's really kind of even outside of any other economic calculations for me anyway. And I know that I'm not, uh, you know, some, uh, that's not necessarily everybody's cup of tea, but when we're spending money as a government, we really should be injecting our values into it and 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 and, and setting the floor for the private sector. But uh, even outside of that, maybe you don't care about you know ho- uh, workers not being in poverty. Like maybe that's not you know that's not something you care about. It's beneficial for the community when these workers have spending money 
It's beneficial for local restaurants, mom and pop, uh, you know, uh, uh, entertainment things, uh, uh, local grocery stores. You know, if if because 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 the value is going to be created one way or another. Right. That that's the thing that people need to understand is that these workers are going to create this value. And the only question is, is it going to go into the community via these workers or is it going to be suctioned out and go into the bank account of some wealthy person, wealthy executive in New York or D.C.? Right. That's the question. Right. The ones that benefit when the interest rate goes to 8% and the workers right. are trying to buy a car or a house or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you're exactly right. You you could not, and I've uh, jotted me down a note to talk about that. That's a perfect segue in uh, the Chattanooga area building trades when Volkswagen um, came to Chattanooga. Uh, we were trying to get a local hire ordinance in the city of Chattanooga, uh, much like, you know, uh, Davis Bacon that, you know, if any works provided or performed by, you know, Chattanooga area tax dollars, then, you know, there ought to be Chattanooga area workers working on that. So we hired an economist from uh, UTC, University of Tennessee in Chattanooga, the Chattanooga area building trades, did to do a study on um, if a local resident worker, now we're talking local resident, I think it was 45 to 50 miles from downtown Chattanooga because Chattanooga borders Alabama and Georgia too. But, you know, a local resident of Chattanooga proper earns a dollar. That dollar turns over seven times in Mm. just what you were talking about, the mom and pop. I mean, I live in about as rural Northwest Georgia as you can get 30 minutes from Chattanooga. And if, if my sons want to go to Dick Sporting Goods or my wife wants to go to Ulta. We we go to Chattanooga. You know, we mm. you know, we we love it here, but we don't mind commuting. So we spend a lot of our tax base in Chattanooga. If a non-resident of Chattanooga comes in for a project, that dollar just turns over one and a half times. So I mean it just makes sense. Back to um what you know Senator Davis said and that's what he was worried about was you know workers coming in from out of the area making substandard wages and i mean Mm. i could go on and on about the horror stories about volkswagen and you know them just the the treatment of the non-union workers out there but we'll Mm -hmm. say that for another day but you're exactly right i mean you're you know it's not like this is privately funded this is public tax dollars and you know if the republicans democrats independent you know they're going to sit here and say we're physically conservative well be physically conservative with spending federal tax dollars and putting it in the workers pockets where they can go out and they can live like middle class people used to live. I mean, I can I get pretty fired up about this because you know, thirty years I'll have thirty years of trade next year, and it's you know, it's my passion to uh, you know get more people in the trades mm-hmm. and watch them retire with dignity. I mean, right. when you're talking to a young person in the apprenticeship, and uh, I I did this, I asked him, I said, "What's your dream? And where do you see yourself in twenty years?" And that young man looked me in the face and he said, "I just want my own piece of grass to mow." You know, and I, I I never had to experience that because my mom was a teacher in the state of Alabama, had a mm. great teacher's retirement. And you know, I think she was in three unions, the AEA, the NEA, then the one for the uh, principals, administrators, then my dad. I'm a third generation union iron worker. So, you know, I was fortunate to grow mm-hmm. up in a middle class household. But, you know, why shouldn't that individual have the right to a living wage if he's willing to work for it? I mean, right. you know, we're not giving anything away. We're just like you said, you know, right. we want to put a little bit 
in the pocket of the people who's building it. You know, right. there's fixing to be a whole generation that's going to be the generation of infrastructure because we've waited so long to let our power grid, you know, the demand for power and everything has waited so long. So now, you know, we have to build an extreme amount. So it's going to be, you know, a generation of infrastructure. So it's going to be, you know, this change is one of the biggest change. And, you know, I think personally, I think prevailing wage is the single best way for economic development. You know, it levels the mm-hmm. playing field. Right. Yeah. I, I was going to just chime in and say that exact same thing that, you know, politicians like to talk about economic development and, you know, they have their own definitions of that. But there's a way to do economic development from the bottom up that actually supports the working people uh, who are doing who are doing the vital work in our community that we all depend on. And so mm-hmm. uh, I, I really appreciate that. And, you know, shout out to the building trades unions for advocating for your members and fighting for your members and fighting on this issue and the persistence on this issue, because. You know, not every worker has folks out there fighting for them, as you talked about with the non-union contractors and the way those folks are treated. Uh, so, yeah, just shout out to the building trades for all your your work on this issue. And I, I, I so agree. This is a economic development tool that we should be using from not just the federal level, but to the local and the state level, too. And so uh, really appreciate your work on the local hire, uh, you know, and fighting for that in Chattanooga. And I think, again, that's something that communities across the state of Alabama can learn from as well. And, you know, it's also in addition to everything else that we've we've mentioned, when you've got the trade unions on there, the union contractors on these construction projects as opposed to non-union contractors who underpay their workers, have unsafe working conditions, and who don't train them as much, right? I mean, this is something that that the ABC, the Associated Builders and Contractors, the big non-union uh, construction lobby uh, that they want to do, they, they want to eliminate the skilled tradesmen. They want to train their employees to the job. To mm-hmm. only be able to do a job, and then that takes away some of their power. Whereas the building trades unions, each one of those has the equivalent of a college degree, that amount of education, three to five years, depending on the union, uh, hundreds of hours of classroom education, test studying, on-the-job training, and free of charge to the uh, uh, to the apprentice, generally speaking, a couple of them you have to pay for your books, free of charge to the apprentice, free of charge to the government. The government doesn't fund any of these trade union apprenticeship yeah. programs. It all comes from the unions. And so that's right. another thing that when you have these really skilled tradesmen who have gone through a college degree worth of education about how to be an iron worker, you know, how to be an operating engineer, that's going to, you know, the the quality of your project is going to be different. And that is actually why Toyota Mazda has a project labor agreement in the in the uh, for the factory that they're building right here in Huntsville. They have a project labor agreement with the trade unions because even though they don't want unions in their factories, they know that the trade unions are going to give them a better product. And they signed a project labor agreement despite our governor traveling to Japan to try to convince their executives not to sign a project labor agreement. Mm. Uh, You know, I mean, really, really 
wild stuff. Um, but you know, Steve, I I I, I wanted to uh, see if uh, uh, Brother Stutz, if if you are um uh if you've gotten everything worked out with your audio, and if you have anything to anything to say about wh- what we've been talking about so far. Mm. I'm not sure what's going on. Is he muted? Let's see. Yeah, uh, I I don't know. I think it, it, we've just had a connection issue going on. Uh, I know he he did rejoin, so we'll we'll see. Maybe that will help. Okay. Yeah. Well. So yeah, just let us know, Steve, when you're there. Uh, yeah. Feel free to just go, get in, go ahead just and jump in. in. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And and so uh uh yeah. I don't know, Sean Sean Paul, if if you had anything else uh on you know what I was talking about there. <clears throat> about the quality yeah i do you know the apprenticeship is something um that's near and dear to my heart you know everybody doesn't come in through the apprenticeship we have a probationary program that used to be the old permit program you know it, it doesn't matter how you get to us at the iron workers when you get here we want you to retire here you know mm-hmm. we don't want you to work one project but to your point about the apprenticeships i um i was talking to a senator um, Tennessee AFL has labor on the hill, and then you know they invite all the senators and house reps to come over. Um, so I was uh, the gentleman was walking to me, and he's a Republican. I thought I about you know I just but try to have an open mind. So mm-hmm. we were talking, and uh, I explained to him that the apprenticeships you were referencing are paid for by our members. You know, mm-hmm. he said, oh, y'all get grants. Or I said, no, no, we don't get any grants. You and your buddies cut all that out. I said, but I said, we're funded, you know, and the smaller local you are, the more you have to put in. And that's, you know, money our members put mm-hmm. in to train. And we have to train to the industry standards or, you know, our contractors aren't going to be with us. So he said, that's something he's going to take back to the chamber and the ABC and the you know, AGC and tell them, you know, you always gripe about how much more they cost. He says, mm. but they train their own members. You mm-hmm. know, there, there is no. So again, back to, you know, the phrase they like is being physically conservative. You know, if, if we're paying for our own and I told him the horror stories about going in behind contractors at Volkswagen, mm-hmm. which, you know, out of a billion dollars, I think um, taxes were 800 million to build Volkswagen. So wow. we had to do, work twice. So they, they would give the bid out lowest and most responsible. It's always lowest, never the most responsible bid. And then, you know, fast forward, one of our signatory contractors goes in there and and redoes the work. So there's no value Mm. in the race to the bottom on the lowest bid. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important to the, the fact that, you know, these mistakes happen and these issues come up and you have the safety problems and so sometimes you get what you pay for when you're just strictly looking at the lowest bidder. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's why responsible bidder ordinances are, are important and project labor agreements. And, you know, so this is, yeah, I really, yeah, I've appreciated this conversation because, like you said at the beginning, Jacob, I know, you know, you may just glance at the headline of, you know, uh, improvements to the Davis-Bacon Act. You know, like, you know, what what the hell does that mean? And but the idea of working people in your community uh, being treated better and paid better is really something that uplifts the entire community. So, you know, that that's mm-hmm. huge. And 
Uh, I think we just got to keep fighting for it, you know, at every level and in, in every community. And, and it's an opportunity for labor to work together with, with each other, right? All the building trades working together right. and other unions working with the building trades and, mm -hmm. and with the community. We all come together to support this because it's a no-brainer kind of policy. If we can help people, uh, the, if we can help the people who are helping us, you know, that's what we need to do. So, uh, yeah, right. I really appreciate it. Sorry, I, I didn't know if Sean Paul was start, uh, was going to start. Uh, we'll try. We'll go to go to Steve one more time. See if he is is Steve still in the Zoom. Uh, Steve is not in the Zoom now. Mm. Man, no, so sorry. Hate, well, hate, hate that. that. Hate that. We'll have to follow up with Steve and see if we can get him back on next week or something. Yeah, he. Uh, so uh, you know, like I said, he was the uh, president of the local building trades union and uh, of the local. Uh, uh, union of Operating Engineers, and uh, you know, he told me that he's got a bunch of stories about uh, Davis Bacon enforcement on Redstone Arsenal. Oh um, wow! And how it's been so difficult to get you know a good prevailing wage even on Redstone Arsenal. Um, so and isn't that a shame? Yeah, I mean, you know, such a huge piece of the economy here in mm -hmm. North Alabama. Uh, and again, you know, the public's purchasing power should be used to uplift the public. Yeah, it seems so basic and it should be basic. And, you know, so, uh, you know, I personally have been very critical of the Biden administration on a lot of issues, including labor issues. And there's a lot of areas where I have disagreement. Um, and, you know, Jacob and I, we can talk about that, you know, as we do uh, nearly every week. But this is a big issue mm -hmm. uh, and this is big for the building trades. And so. You know, again, I really I think the building trades have done a great job advocating for their members. And, um, you know, it's good to see this win. And like I said, let's keep this momentum going into the local and state level and see how we can broaden the impact. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you know, we have a, we secured a project labor agreement with uh, NAS Construction at um, over there at Air Force Base in Tullahoma, Tennessee. And mm. now the Air Force has seen the. Uh, fruits of our labor with that project labor agreement so what we're doing is we have redone that contract to allow nas to go out and bid even more work within that air force base with all the money coming from the federal government um for you know military spending and everything um as well as tva i mean you know the tva act's been using building construction trades and it works i mean mm. you know it's it's the gold standard and you know safety and you know, no return to service issues or a bare minimum, you know, mm -hmm. so it it works. It's just, you know, do you want to put money in the pocket of the workers to help stimulate the economy or do you want to put it in the pockets of the contractors so, you know, they can put it up there in their uh, funds that we don't know what's going on with, just like you said, Jacob. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, Sean Paul Kimball, uh, President Business Manager of the Iron Workers Local 704 in Chattanooga, President of the Building Trades Council over there. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time with us this morning. Is there anything else that you wanted to say uh, signing off? Um, there's, yeah, there is. There's one There's one quote, and it's, it's one of my favorite quotes ever. And um, he was a uh, Martin, I cannot pronounce his name, N-I-E-M-O-L-L-E-R. He was a Lutheran pastor. He uh, immigrated from Germany. And his quote is, 
First, they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came out for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. And that was Martin Neomoller, I believe it was his name. But uh, that's one of my favorite favorite quotes, especially as I get older. Um, I appreciate you. Um, Y'all bringing this to light. I mean, you know, we have to tell the story of all workers, you know, and it's just, you know, whether you're in a union or not a union, you know, um, I will tell you this much, uh, you know, united we bargain, divided we beg. And, you know, that's just the, the quote that's out there. And I mm-hmm. appreciate y'all having this platform. Um, I encourage everybody to support this because, you know, we're not lying here. We're, we're not, you know, telling anything that's not true. I mean, you know, if you don't believe workers to live, you know, deserve a livable mm-hmm. wage, then, you know, I can't talk to you much more about anything past okay. that. So really pretty I, fundamental I disagreement. Me on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, oh, and, just, and before you go, I wanted to you, you mentioned quote. I love that's one of my favorite clo- quotes as well. Right. And um, and uh, and and it, it's worth quoting the, the first part of it like you did. A lot of people don't quote the first part, uh, but, you know, it's yeah. it's worth it's worth, you know. It's worth knowing how it starts, actually. Uh, but the uh, right. speaking of quotes, the ABC, which you're a big fan of the ABC, I'm sure, <laughs> Associated Builders and Contractors. When yeah. this uh, when this came out, they released a press release, and uh, one of their quotes was, "This is yet another Biden administration handout to organized labor on the backs of taxpayers, small businesses, and the free market." Mm. Yeah, that's just it's gross. That's ridiculous. Now, that's their national. But um, I've talked to a lot of different people, um, mostly um, north of the Mason-Dixon line, where, you know, it's not right to work. And uh, the ABC, um, you know, sometimes our contractors and our, you know, business agents and managers and people from international go to these meetings. They've told me that the ABC has had admitted that they have suppressed wages on federal projects so mm-hmm. long that now they can't find anybody to work the projects. I mean, you know, yep. there's a craftsperson shortage all over the country right now. So, you know, yeah, they say that on the national level, but, you know, you dive into the weeds, you know, they're hurting too. Their contractors are trying to find people too. But, yeah, you're right. exactly right. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right, brother. Well, hey, we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. It was great. Yes, sir. Appreciate hey, thank it. y'all, brothers. I appreciate it. All yes, right. sir. Yeah, that was great. I, I always enjoy talking to the building trades and, mm-hmm. and hearing about their issues. And, uh, you know, again, the, the public purchasing power to me is mm-hmm. one of those pieces of leverage where we as community members, we as labor union members, we as working people can really, we can really get together as, you know, as a broader community and, and lift people's wages. And it's not a handout by any means. It's... Mm-hmm. Yeah, where do you want the money to go? I want it to go to the working people mm. uh, and see where that goes. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's totally right. Um, so we're going to go ahead and head head into a break, and we're going to be right back with Boss Watch, one of my favorite segments that we do. That <laughs> oh, we yeah, do now. we got to keep an eye on them. Uh, we got to keep an eye on what the bosses are doing here in the South. And uh, folks! Like every week, they are up to no good. So we'll fill you in on the other side. Stay tuned. 
In Alabama, more than 200,000 of our friends and neighbors are living without health care coverage. Often folks can't stay healthy enough to keep their jobs. We need to fix this. Let's close the health care coverage gap. To learn more, visit CoverAlabama.org. Support for this program also comes from the Ironworkers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, Or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need ironworkers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Ironworkers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. The Laborers International Union of North America, Local 366, is proudly recruiting North Alabama workers to work construction and nuclear plant maintenance. If you're interested, please contact Donna at their training center to start the process. That phone number is 256 415 Again, that phone number is 256-415-7452. No experience is needed. Free training is offered, but you must be able to pass a background check and a drug test. Local hiring that grows our community with good-paying jobs that have benefits is their mission. Live better. Work union. Local 366. Feel the power. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. I'm attorney Tommy Senyard. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senyard Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senyard Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senyard Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senyard Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senyard Law. The name with proven results. I'm on you, Thank you. 
only union talk radio show. This is the Valley Labor Report, folks. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. We bring you Alabama's only union talk radio program every week, Saturday mornings, 9.30 a.m. Central Time. And, uh, folks, we enjoy doing it. And we really appreciate everybody hanging out with us in the chat. We've got about 30 people watching us live right now on the YouTubes, but... Only 15 people have liked the stream, so those are rookie numbers, folks. We can get that up. Uh, If you have not subscribed to the channel yet, uh, then consider doing that as well. Uh, We really appreciate everybody hanging out with us in the chat. Uh, We have a conversation, I think, just brought up just because we had Biden in the thumbnail about energy prices and stuff and that and that Biden is uh, is the cause of all of the energy prices. And, you know, uh, here's a couple of a couple of facts to consider um, if you want to think about, is it is it actually uh, Joe Byron's fault that, uh, that that gas prices are are higher? U.S. oil output is now projected to rise to an average of 12.8 million barrels per day this year for the first time ever. The first time ever, more than so. The uh, the the translation there is that uh, more than Trump. That's half a million barrels per day more than the prior annual record set in 2019. It's also more oil than any other country on the planet produces. The next closest nation, Saudi Arabia, produces about 10 million barrels per day. Uh, so then the question is, okay, well, if uh, if Joe Byron hasn't been waging uh, a war on the oil sector, then why is it the gas prices have been increasing? And well, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, once things started opening up, uh, the OPEC countries and the Middle Eastern countries did not increase production similarly. Um, and so that was really kind of the driver, especially when it got really high. And they're doing something similar right now, actually. Um, the uh, Russia and also, you know, not being able to use Russian oil um, because they have been sanctioned. Uh, but Russia, Saudi Arabia, and OPEC at large have held back barrels in a strategy aimed at boosting prices. Last week, Saudi Arabia vowed to extend its oil production cut for at least another month, right? Uh, Russia said it will also slash oil exports by 300,000 barrels per day in September. Uh, also, you've obviously got the uh, you know Russian invasion of Ukraine, and you know whatever you think about our military support for uh, Ukraine, uh, Joe Biden is not the one who invaded Russia. And whatever you think about our NATO policies, you know ultimately that was a Russian issue, not Joe Biden. The issue was was long before, uh, long long before he entered the presidency. And uh, you know, so look, those are some things that kind of complicate that narrative. But it's not something that I'm super interested in dying on. Um, also, uh, the, um, let's see some other, I wanted to mention before we go on to our next segment that we have a live Mm -hmm. show coming up and, uh, we haven't mentioned that. I don't think really on the air much. Um, and we should probably talk about that. Yeah. Uh, We have a live show coming up on September 17th in Huntsville, right here in Huntsville, Alabama at Shenanigans Comedy Theater. Uh, it's on Lehman Ferry Road. Uh, if you've never been there, it's great folks who run the uh, Shenanigans Comedy Theater and really looking forward to this live event. Uh, 
we had a local comedian in the studio a few weeks ago with us, Sci-Fi, and he is going to be joining us. And we're going to see, you know, we, we have some uh, other potential guests that are going to be there. Uh, we're definitely going to have uh, guests from the movement uh, with some stories to share. And so we'll have some activists and organizers from the community who will be joining us for, you know, a, a live discussion of labor and organizing in the South. It's going to be, uh, you know, a fun night. Uh, you'll have some laughs. We'll have some solidarity and some fellowship. Uh, beverages are served. Adult beverages will be served at the theater. So that's, you know, a benefit for some people. Uh, it's going to be a Sunday evening. And, uh, yeah, really would appreciate support. If you're in the area, mm -hmm. if you are anywhere in North Alabama, uh, Tennessee Valley, uh, if you're close by, you know, drive on out, see us. Uh, it'll be really cool. And, uh, yeah, I, I just hope to, hope to see some folks. Yeah, definitely think about uh, coming. You can go to tvlr.fm slash store and buy a ticket. General admission is $20. VIP is um, $35. Uh, and VIP just gets you in an hour early. You get to, you know, chit-chat with us and uh, the guests that we're going to have on, uh, on during the live show. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We've got a flyer that we're that we're working on right now that we're going to have <laughs> printed and put up over the city. Uh, yeah, you know. that's very official. Yeah. Just putting your phone up to the camera. That's <laughs> We're professionals. Yes, folks. absolutely. Uh, but seats are extremely limited. 40 seats, 4-0. So like you know, three dozen. You know, so extremely limited seats. So uh, if you do want to come, Shenanigans Comedy Theater off Lehman Ferry Road, uh, you're going to want to go ahead and get your tickets now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, hope to see a lot of folks there. Uh, I think it's going to be a cool night. And um, yep. the whole point, of course, is to raise some funds for the show and just to have some live outreach, in-person mm -hmm. outreach, and, and talk to folks. Because uh, we know we do have some folks here in the Tennessee Valley who listen to the show and enjoy it. Uh, we know we have a strong labor movement here in the Tennessee Valley. And uh you know, we have some really great community activists here in the Valley, and it's just, you know, good opportunity to connect all those folks. Yes. Um, Austin in the chat says, uh, y'all's sponsors are awesome AF, the first ads I've liked in years. And yeah, uh, the uh, um, it, it is very, you know, I mean, we're a, right, a talk radio show, right? And so, you know, we kind of, we kind of try to fit the mold as far as the medium goes, you know? And so somebody said it was like a, um, like a, one of those GTA stations, except, uh, with good politics, you know, if you're playing grand theft auto and you've got, and you've stolen somebody's car and you have the radio on. Um, so anyway. yeah, yeah, we, I've definitely heard us compared to uh, conservative radio, uh, conservative talk radio, just, you know, with very different content, obviously. Yeah. Um, That's... you know, but so, yeah, I'm looking forward to the event. Uh, appreciate all the support that we've received so far. Appreciate, you know, anyone who can support us for doing that. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yep. Uh, so, okay. Uh, I promised you Boss Watch. We're going to do Boss Watch. Uh, we have an Alabama employer on the list this week, and so many companies stealing from their employees and putting them in illegally dangerous workplaces that we didn't even have room uh, to include EEOC cases this week. Uh, it's a lot of stuff. Really bad. The, fo uh, the, the bosses are, uh, they are, um, 
wilding out on their employees in a not good way. So let's start with, we'll start with Alabama. Uh, the Texas-based operator of an eclectic Alabama, I've never heard of that city, eclectic Alabama manufacturing facility could have prevented a 20-year-old worker from suffering an amputation if the employer had followed required federal safety standards, a U.S. Department of Labor investigation determined. After Maddox Incorporated reported a March 23, 2023 employee injury, investigators with the department's Occupational Safety and Health Administration determined that as the worker tried to adjust a coolant feed line on a tube, uh, on a tube saw, his glove became caught and his hand was pulled into the saw's spinning blade. The worker then suffered the amputation of three fingers. A manufacturer of retail shelving and displays, uh, Maddox received citations for two repeat, three serious, and three other than serious violations and faces $158,000 in proposed penalties. OSHA's inspection specifically found that the company allowed employees to perform maintenance on an automatic tube saw without following lockout tagout procedures. Folks, we've been doing this boss watch thing for like three or four weeks, a month now. Every week, we've got an employer not following lockout tagout. That's every week. And it's always leading to amputations, leading to serious lacerations, leading to employees being killed. Lockout tagout, so important. Got to do it. The employer also did not ensure employees had the knowledge and skills to safely apply, use, and remove energy controls on automatic tube cutters, it permitted employees to operate a press machine with an unguarded material carriage, which exposed them to pinch point hazards, failed to provide guards for a tube cutting saw's blades, leaving employees exposed to amputation hazards, did not repair a broken energy emergency stop button on the side control panel of an automatic saw. A broken emergency stop button. That's like... An important thing to have on a dangerous piece of machinery. Since 2018, OSHA inspections at two Maddox Incorporated facilities in Alabama and one in Texas have identified one willful violation and eight serious violations. The inspections included a 2019 OSHA investigation of an employee's amputation injury in Eclectic that found similar machine guarding and lockout tagout failures for which OSHA cited the company for three serious violations. This company has already cost one of their workers limb, right? Mm. And they did it again for the same thing. In, I mean, that's wild. I mean, you know, this is the kind of thing, once you start doing this kind of stuff, you know, you've got somebody that amputated their fingers on the job because of your failure to create a safe working environment. Okay, maybe even, let's even say that, okay, uh, it was an accident. Oh man, I'll do better, right? If you do it again, in a matter of three or four years, for the same reason, jail, right? I mean, that's the kind of thing that you ought to be talking about. Jail time for these people. But, you know, look, uh, bosses are better than us. That's how the law sets it up. Bosses are just a totally separate class of creature from... They're employees under the eyes of the law. And so instead of here in Alabama, especially here in Alabama. And so instead of somebody facing jail time for mutilating a person, 
multiple times for the same reason, they only have a fine of a couple hundred thousand dollars and they're going to be able to go about their merry way. It's just, it's wild. Okay, moving on. In Texas, a federal workplace safety investigation has found that a Farmersville construction contractor could have prevented the loss of a 23-year-old employee by following required safety procedures for operating a mobile crane at an Aubrey worksite. Investigators with the U.S. Department of Labor's Occupational Safety and Health Administration learned that the worker and other employees of S&D Erectors Incorporated were constructing a metal building when the crane collapsed in March of 2023. The agency determined that the company exposed its employees to struck by hazards by overloading the crane beyond its weight limitations. And listen to this. OSHA cited the company for four willful violations related to not using temporary alternative measures when the load and radius cell did not work, operating a mobile crane in excess of its rated capacity, and requiring the crane operator to operate the crane in a manner that exceeded its rated capacity. I mean, that's like, you're talking about like wicked stuff there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like evil. OSHA also cited S&D erectors for 11 serious violations for its failure to create and employ an accident prevention program, perform frequent and regular inspections of the work sites, or meet federal safety standards for crane inspections, wire rope inspections, and other hazards. So the agency has proposed a whopping $262,000 in penalties for the loss of a life. The company has 15 business days from receipt of the citation and penalties to either comply, request an informal conference with OSHA's area director, or contest the findings. Uh, finally, still in Texas, we got this tip last week, and I wanted to spend a little bit more time on it. From 2010 to 2020, the Texas Workforce Commission ordered employer thieves to give back $99 million dollars. A Rutgers study found that only 20% of that has been recovered by the workers from that, whom it was stolen. Wow. Wow. That, you know, and that brings up something uh, the brother who was with us this morning talked about in terms of enforcement. It's not just the law, but the enforcement. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Only 20%. Yeah. This is money these people were owed. This is money that, that not only were they owed, right, but this is money that the government has found the employer guilty of stealing, right? right. I mean, right. this isn't even, you know, they have studies and we're going to get into this. There are also studies about, okay, you know, there is the question of how much is found to be stolen, but obviously we know that bosses steal more from workers than they report. And so there is, you know, there are attempts to find that number too. But this is just the number that the government has investigated and ordered the employer to pay back. Right, right. So it's a very conservative <laughs> estimate of wage theft, you know, certainly. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about even like grievances that I worked on where, you know, we busted the employer and they acknowledged it, right? They acknowledged that they made a mistake or, you know, of course, that's all they would acknowledge. They're not going to acknowledge their intent behind it. But, uh, you know, where they were busted, but still would like slow walk trying to actually pay out the back mm. pay that they had agreed to pay, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
And so in this case, like, the idea that they've already been found guilty, so to speak, <laughs> and it's already supposed to be happening, and, like, you're that worker, and you've already got your hopes up, right? You've won your case. Mm-hmm. And you still can't get your money back? Right. Oof. That is, that is very frustrating. Yeah. Uh... Wacky, wacky stuff. The Dallas Morning News told one worker's story. Oscar Torres has logged hours working at construction sites across Dallas-Fort Worth throughout the last seven years. Six times now he has not been rightfully paid, he says, losing upwards of $5,000. He's tried to recover those unpaid wages, filing claims with the Texas Workforce Commission, despite an order being ruled in his favor, signaling that his employer owed him money he's never seen a nickel of it really wild stuff the report also found that three million texans have been paid less than the federal minimum wage of 725 an hour and that's just one form of wage theft right you've also got violations of davis bacon on federal construction sites you've also got violations of uh the overtime uh overtime provisions of the fair labor standards act You've also got, uh, you know, you've got other forms of wage theft, right? Stealing lunch breaks. Just in Texans being paid less than seven twenty-five an hour, three million, three million workers in Texas are victims of this. The report claims that the average worker, average, <laughs> in Texas loses four thousand dollars to wage theft every year totaling 12 billion in losses to employer theft in the last 14 years here i mean again texas just texas right not the rest of the country just texas while the average wages ordered per claim continued to rise from 16 uh, $1,613 in 2010 to $2,249 in 2020 by the Texas Workforce Commission, the average amount paid during the same period declined <laughs> from 435 to 406 To be fair, though, and, you know, just so that somebody doesn't go and research this and, and say that we didn't include this, the Texas Workforce Commission disputes the total number of unpaid claims. They say... That no 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 no, uh, it's not eighty percent of the orders are unpaid. It's only forty percent. Oh okay. Uh, still not a good number. Forty <laughs> percent of the orders that you have given out over the last ten years, even if we just take them at face value and say that's true. You know, I'm not I'm not inclined to believe the Texas state government over you know Rutgers, right? But you know, let's say that that that's true. Okay, that is uh, $50 million that is still owed to employees that bosses have stolen and that they haven't given, they haven't given back. Really uh, wild stuff happening over there in the Lone Star State. 
so like I said, there were several, several uh, other releases from the Department of Labor and OSHA and the Wage and Hour Division. So we're going to get the, through those in a rapid fire manner in dishonorable mentions. Dollar Tree made an agreement with OSHA to conduct a nationwide safety assessment and fix issues or face a fine of $100,000 per day of violation up to 500000 They also agreed to pay $1.35 million in penalties and fines. OSHA has issued issued 403 violations at Dollar Tree and Family Dollar stores since 2017, uh, resulting in more than $13.1 million in fines to date. Last time we talked to Dollar General, I reminded people, you know, you hear $13 million and you're like, oh, wow. And then you you hear $13 million and then you think about your local Dollar Tree, right? And you don't imagine that your local Dollar Tree has that much money, okay? Dollar Tree is a national chain that made literal, actual billions of dollars, not in revenue, in profit last year. Okay, so context. Investigators with the department's Wage and Hour Division found that a North Carolina home health care service, Community Alternative Housing, paid employees straight time hours for all hours worked. By doing so, the employer failed to pay the employees a time and a half premium for hours over 40 in a work week, which is an overtime violation of the Fair Labor Standards Act. The Department of La- uh, the Department of Labor recovered. $174,751 for 50 workers. That's going to be a big payday for those folks. Investigators with the U.S. Department of Labor's Wage and Hour Division found the employer deducted lunch breaks automatically without uh, first making sure that workers did, in fact, take a lunch break. That employer was... Uh, the S&W Renovation and Landscape Contractor Incorporated in Rolette, Texas. The automatic deduction caused overtime and record-keeping violations of the Fair Labor Standards Act. The, uh, the DOL recovered $103,000 in back wages and damages for 104 workers. Two Sonic Drive-In franchisees in South Carolina found 91 uh, children under age 16 working longer and later than legally allowed by child labor provisions in the Fair Labor, in the Fair labor Standards Act. The DOL assessed about $60,000 in civil money penalties for the violations. Twice within two months in 2023, U.S. Department of Labor inspectors observed Missouri contractor Cheltenham Construction Services, a company with a history of workplace safety violations dating back to 2015, once again exposing employees to deadly fall hazards as they performed siding and roofing work in Lake St. Louis and O'Fallon. OSHA proposed $334,000 in fines. A federal investigation has found that a Virginia-based information Technology Support Company under contract with the U.S. Marine Corps in North Carolina incorrectly classified 10 workers as exempt from overtime, leading to the recovery of $77,000 in back wages and benefits owed to them. A federal investigation has found that a San Antonio wire drawing company could have prevented an employee from suffering fatal injuries by following required workplace safety standards. Folks, you're going to save a lot of people's lives, a lot of people's injuries, and a lot of money by following required workplace safety standards. OSHA proposed $300,000 in fines for the violations. The U.S. Department of Labor filed a lawsuit against Tyler Pipe Company alleging violations of federal whistleblower protections after the company fired an employee because they requested to use a respirator to protect them from smoke and fumes Mm. in the work area. The department is seeking to make the employee whole. 
U.S. Department of Labor investigators found five Florida skating rinks allowing 33 14- and 15-year-old employees to work outside of legally allowed hours, which is a violation of the child labor provisions of the Fair Labor Standards Act. The department proposed $26,000 in civil money penalties. We're going to end it with a warning for bosses in New Orleans. The Wage and Hour Division's New Orleans District Office has partnered with the Workplace Justice Project, which is a nonprofit worker advocacy organization, signing a memorandum of understanding to improve both organizations' effectiveness in providing critical services to low-wage workers. The memorandum establishes a partnership that will cross-train staff on how to identify labor violations and increase information sharing between between the agencies to help prevent and respond to potential violations uh, to uh, to potential federal violations better. The initiative will also improve both agencies' ability to educate workers on their labor rights and protections. Wow, that's really cool. Very cool for I, our I like listeners that. in New Orleans. Yeah, I like that. And uh, anyone listening who's connected to that, hit mm-hmm. us up. Uh, I, I'd love to talk to you all about what you're doing and see you know, what we can learn from that. Absolutely. So, okay. So in Boss Watch, we are not only highlighting how much bosses break the law, but that's kind of like the primary motivator, right? It's because, you know, we kind of thought of that because, you know, every night on the evening <coughs> news, you know, you're going to see uh, some poor saps mugshot because they stole, you know, a bag of Doritos from the local grocery store, something like that. Okay, you see that every every night on the evening news, every night. But bosses steal more from workers than people do from other people. And that's just a fact. You look that up. Wage theft versus other theft. Wage theft is more, okay? So we do that to try to put it in perspective uh, uh, about just how, uh, you know, how in many cases employers are like criminal syndicates almost. (laughs) Um, But uh, also what it does, what Boss Watch does, is it highlights the important role that government agencies play in protecting the rights uh, and the property of employees, of workers. Okay, Uh, the Department of Labor, Occupational Safety and Health Administration, the Wage and Hour Division, uh, the Equal Employment and Opportunity Commission, the, uh, uh, you know, all of these agencies, very, very important. And they're all underfunded. They have all been basically flat funded and in some cases actually had their funding cut (coughs) over the last 10 years. And right. uh, Right. And so that's that's very, very bad. Yeah. The more an agency actually helps regular people, the more likely it is that they're underfunded uh, and subject to all sorts of sabotage, basically. Exactly. Um, and, and so that's something that is a big factor here. Uh, and I was going to also say that something else that com- came to mind as, as we were talking about all this wage theft, uh, you know, just highlights, again, the reason why we advocate for all workers to have unions. Right, mm-hmm. because unions have the when you come together with your coworkers as unions, you're able to organize and fight inside the workplace and hold employers accountable uh, mm-hmm. and and secure contracts, you know, secure things in writing, and then hold the employer accountable to that uh, and and fight for your members and fight to get their pay and fight to get their right benefits. You can do that. 
So mm-hmm. that's why, you know, I think it's important that all workers deserve a union. Um, and there are a lot of workers out there who do not have unions right now or do not have access to unions at the moment. Uh, and that's a shame. Mm-hmm. And for workers that do have unions, it's important that you're active in your union and you're involved and you're always thinking about how to make it stronger uh, because, you know, that's really key is, is yeah. continuing to build and strengthen your union so that you can hold your employer, your employers accountable and so that you can fight for your members and improve the lives of your members uh, so that you're not dealing with these situations, right? Mm-hmm. Because you don't. Uh, and I imagine that for many of these situations, it's non-union workplaces. You know, that's not something that's necessarily going to be mentioned in the press release, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, right. You know, not exclusively, but but I would imagine oftentimes these are non-union environments where some of these violations right. are happening because by and large unions can uh, prevent some of these violations of safety and violations of wages uh, and violations of child labor law. Uh, and that's God. That was another one. The child labor is just mm-hmm. really it's it really is becoming more and more of a problem in this right. country and in the South in particular. Yeah. But that, that and, and so, you know, highlighting the, the importance of, of government agencies and also, you know, the the uh, underfunding of them and the understaffing as well. Here's mm-hmm. something that that. Uh, the American Federation of Government Employees put out last week um, during the Republican presidential debates. And we're going to play a clip about this subject here in just a second. In 1945, the federal government employed 2.5% of the population. One in 50 people who worked, worked for the federal government. Today, it is less than 1%. 0.6% of the population works for the federal government. Okay, so people and that's actually that actually surprised me. If you had asked me how how much, you know, people work for the, I would have guessed it was probably the same as 1945. You know, people are always talking about oh, the government's so much bigger, so much bigger. Well, in fact, actually it is literally smaller <laughs> when you talk about it in in proportion to the population, but so I say all that to say listen to uh, what this Republican presidential candidate, who will not be president, obviously, Asa Hutchinson says, but it is indicative of a Republican uh, uh, position. Let's listen to what Asa Hutchinson said about the federal government. And I made sure that we shrunk the size of government. We have 14 percent fewer state employees in Arkansas after I left government than when I took over as governor eight years ago. I tell that because that's what we need in Washington, D.C. We need somebody who can actually constrain the growth of the federal government that can actually reduce the size. And I've pledged to reduce by 10 percent our federal non-defense workforce. That's a specific pledge to make that attacks the administrative state. So there we go. He wants and, 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 and so when they say that. What we were just talking about, the agencies that are keeping an eye on the bosses, that are protecting workers, that are protecting the community from bosses who want to pollute their community, that's who he wants to cut. Those are the budgets that he wants to cut. He specifically said, oh no, we're gonna set defense spending aside and continue to increase that. 
But we're going to cut any agency that actually protects people. We're going to cut it by 10% is what he wants to do. It's a lot of people's jobs and livelihoods. That's a lot of people's jobs and livelihoods. And it's a lot of bosses who are going to get away with stealing from their employees, murdering their employees, and polluting their communities. That's what it means to cut government. That's what that means. And that's what they're about. Because that's who his donors are. That's who funds the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, by and large. Because remember, the federal government has, uh, you know, most of these agencies have been flat funded over the last 10 years. Okay, Uh, it hasn't only been Republicans in office the last 10 years. So anyway. We're going to go ahead and wrap up, folks. Uh, We appreciate you listening. We're going to wrap up the first half of our program. We have a second half of the program we call Overtime that we are online only. So we go for a full another hour and a half. We've got a whole second half of the show. If you're listening to us on WVNN and you want to tune in, uh, you can find us online, YouTube, Facebook. We're going to continue going for another hour and a half. And uh, we got some good stuff to talk about. We have uh, Brother Chris Townsend's going to be talking about uh, the Wabtec strike in Pennsylvania with us. And we've got a brother from Memphis talking to us about uh, a bakery plant strike. Uh, the International Fragrance and Flavors, uh, their plant, uh, they've been on strike now for months. So we're going to talk to him about that strike. Uh, so we got two guests in overtime. It's going to be really great. And we're going to be playing more clips from the Republican presidential debate because that wasn't the only thing that they said about workers and how they feel about us. So we're going to dig into that. It's going to be fun. Uh, and um, it would be funny if it weren't so terrifying. Labor Notes are hosting a series of online trainings. Um so definitely always keep them, uh, you know, that, that's another place you want to bookmark, labornotes.org. Uh, this month they have uh, What to Do When Your Union Breaks Your Heart. They have a Secrets of a Successful Organizer trainings, and um, they have steward workshops, so definitely keep that up. The second annual Huntsville Human Rights, Fest- Human Rights Film Festival will take place September 14 to 16 on the campus of the University of Alabama in Huntsville. So that's something uh, to check out. You can Google that for more information. Uh, Adam was on America's Workforce on the 3rd of August. You can Go back and check that out. Shop Talk airs every Thursday morning, 9.30 a.m. Central Time. Last week, we talked about new employee orientations. Very good. Uh, very, very important uh, to union leaders. Um, get on our email list, tvlr.fm slash contact, and head over to Overtime with us, folks. Uh, and other than that, we'll see you 